listening to our podcast. We are the Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cine nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host Nick. Hello. The premise of our show is simple. For each week, we have carefully picked two films which we think have things in common. We shall then discuss them to find where their common traits are. One is my suggestion based on my particular area of expertise, the golden age of Hollywood, and the other is chosen by my co-hosts, which is from their specialty. So that would be anything from 1970s New Hollywood through to the current blockbuster age that we're living in. The only rule is both picks of the week have to be first time viewing for the other. This week we have show business? Comedy. We're back on show business. Com- show business comedy... Yeah, people, fo- producers falling on hard times, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, this is. I think this is our. These are first proper comedy. I don't, I don't know. Like we've had, we had the the Team America and Gold Diggers episode, um, which was a bit of a comedy. Yeah, um, I don't think, yeah, like Sherlock Junior, Jackass, way back when. You know, that was that was comedy as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is what more screwball kind of comedy, I suppose. Uh, definitely one of the films is yeah. definitely a screwball. Um, yes. Uh, or, or what's what's the quote that we're now... We, I, I, I'm, I'm determined to I think if we end up launching a, a t-shirt line or what have you, you know, you know, a year down the line, this quote is going to end up on a t-shirt. Um, and it's the your description of, of, of one of our films, um, which which is... The, the zaniest comedy that has ever zane there we go so that's going to be on the t-shirt i reckon in about a year's time so look <laughs> out for that yeah uh, yeah okay so speaking of the zaniest comedy that has ever zaned in my opinion um i'll just give um it's uh, it's of course uh 1934's um howard hawks 20th century starring john barrymore and carol lombard and here's a quick synopsis A flamboyant Broadway impresario who has fallen on hard times tries to get his former lover, now a Hollywood diva, to return and resurrect his failing career. So we have John Barrymore, we have Carol Lombard, we have Ben Hecht writing the script, and we have Howard Howard Hawks directing. So, answer carefully, Nick. What did you think of the film? So if if I'm right in thinking, I'm not allowed to dislike this film. No, you're not. No, I'm not allowed. <laughs> um, the the fate of the no, the, no. the fate of the podcast rests on my on my next words. Um, so, okay. So whilst I, I I I mean I didn't I didn't laugh out loud, like as much as I thought I would be I would be doing. Um, especially compared to Howard Hawks's other screwball comedy, Bring Up Baby, which. I thoroughly enjoyed that film. Um, this film, I did find it very, very watchable and very, very, very enjoyable. Um, and like I said, I, with the caveat of saying it's not like, for me, it's not like laugh out loud funny like the other film that we'll be talking about. Um, I hadn't never seen a John Barrymore or Carol Lombard film before. This is, you know, another one ticked off. You know, I've now seen a John Barrymore and Carol Lombard film, you know, like... Yeah, I mean, I had heard both their names before. This is, again, a case of early, you know, like classic Hollywood cinema kind of like bleeding over into my general knowledge and me kind of like knowing the name but not knowing the performer or knowing what they look like. Um, and yeah, I, I 
honestly, I, I would really kind of love to see more of this from both of them. I, I've no idea if that is anything possible, whether either of them did these kind of this kind of film before. I mean, especially um, John Barrymore. I think he plays Oscar Jaff. Jaffe. Um, OJ. Jaffe, sorry. Um, he plays him with a kind of like a sad desperation and but he you know he isn't trying to like con anybody like unlike another director that we'll be talking about later on he's he's kind of like a lot more desperate to kind of succeed and, and he just he, there's like a manic manic energy to him um i spoke a few weeks ago uh regarding the scientist in metropolis and how i can kind of see gene wilder's dr frankenstein um, in his in in Jumada's performance, you know, I can kind of see the links here. And here with John Barrymore's more possessive Jaffe, I can see the more crazed side of Gene Wilder. Um, there's a definite link between seeing what John Barrymore is doing as Jaffe and what Gene Wilder does in in more much more of his manic performances. Um, I don't. It's not like I'm not like disparaging. Like either of them i'm not like this is not a negative thing i just like for me like it's easy for, it's easier for me to kind of like com- like to kind of see similarities between two actors especially when it comes to comedic performances um i thought i thought carol lombard um you know lily lily garland i think i think she was she was an absolute um i think that the right word is spitfire <laughs> um you know, I thought she was she was really commanding. She was powerful, independent, and she does she has this kind of like fire in her, and that is all there until the end when she ends up working with Jaffe again. Um, you know, <laughs> their their relationship. Um, I think it's really kind of symbiotic. Like they kind of need each other. Yep um they 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 do they do kind of they they kind of do hate each other in a weird way um but they kind of they they do need each other um oscar because like he he's only successful when he's working with her um he's only success actually he's only successful with his art when he's working with lily and with lily she gets the success but it's you know i feel like at the end it's kind of implied that she's lost her connection to the art yeah and you know, and she's lost the art of the acting and, and the performance. Um, so yeah, the performances were, were excellent. Like I said that they really, you know, the, the the dynamic was really really interesting. Um, I did like, I did enjoy how like the climax, like to, you know, the climax of the train sequence kind of built up to all this, almost a farce. Yes. Um, you know, you have the, the supposedly rich religious nut who just turns out to be an escaped nut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and you know, all of you know, he can't actually fund the, the, the production or the, you know, Jaffe's um I don't know money he owes. Uh you know, he can't fund that after all. Um his right hand man, uh, Jaffe's right hand man, Oscar Oliver Webb. Um, I think you know it's, it's, uh, this performance. Walter Connolly. Walter Connolly is is brilliant. It's just so exasperated. I love him. <laughs> um, and you're constantly, constantly getting fired, but you know he's never actually fired. Um, 
and then his 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 left hand man, if you can call him that, Owen Owen O'Malley. Um, he's he's he is persistently pissed. <laughs> um, and as though is that's that's the only way for him to actually kind of cope with with Oscar. Um, yeah, I I did I really enjoyed this film and and um, like I said, like I didn't like laugh out loud as much as I did or even at all like like I did when I watched Bringing Up Baby, but. There is definitely, you know, I did really, really enjoy this. Um, you know, I thought the dialogue was really quick and witty and, and frequently full of absurd lines. I think my favourite one was when uh, OJ kind of hurls black paint on the posters of Lily Garland and, and shouts, great child of Satan. <laughs> um, um, uh, it was really, yeah, I really enjoyed it. No, I, I really enjoyed this film and... and especially when we're kind of talking about the next film i'll probably come end up coming back to 20th century and especially the kind of the portrayal of, of someone in, in oscar jaffe's position or in you know the next film uh, uh the position of, of that director um yeah no it was it was really good and and it means that this podcast can continue because i've said nice things about this film so were you honest about it <laughs> of course I was. Yeah. I mean, do we we need to go back? Do we need to go back to the, the that episode where I I slacked off that film that you love? So we no, we do not. We 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 barely survived that. So yeah, <laughs> we barely survived that. Um, but yeah, no, I, cool. I really really. So this. your introduction to John Barrymore and Carol Lombard was a good one. Was a good experience so far. Yes, it was. I um yeah. So I I'm I will try to get some more John Barrymore films on our podcast because after watching this, I just be, I just fell in love with him. Um, I think he's just brilliant. He was yeah. It was I'm, and I'm glad I got the chance to talk about him a little bit on on this podcast because I think he was just one of the greatest actors that has ever lived, and I'm not the only one saying that. Um, He's, he was, yeah, he um, he considered this to be one of his favorite films of his. He was quite a tormented soul. He suffered from alcoholism since he was like 17 or 18, or even earlier than that. He wanted to be a painter, um, but the family curse, as he called it, acting, um, it was basically just gripped him and he started acting just to pay the bills. He came from a... Um, acting family, uh, his mum, his dad, his uncles, aunts. So basically it was just in, in the DNA from, from an early age. And he was considered to be the best Hamlet of his generation. Uh, he influenced Laurence Olivier. I think he was the first um, American actor who did Hamlet on an English stage and got really, really good reviews. I found some information on this and I'll share in the show notes. And even Laurence Olivier um, was influenced by him. He saw him on stage in like 1925. So before there was Olivier, there was John Barrymore. And um, about this, when when he was asked, when John Barrymore asked um, Howard Hawks why he should play the role of Oscar Jaffe, Howard Hawks replied, it's the story of the biggest ham on earth and you're the biggest ham I know. 
and Barrymore accepted at once. And I think you can see how much fun he's having with the, with the role because a, a lot of it was improvised. And I I found some uh, quotes from Howard Hawks saying that when you have someone like John Barrymore and someone so talented as Carol Lombard, you know the script can just you know be a bit loose and just let them play against each other. And uh, yeah. How much do you know of Carol Lombard? Literally next to nothing. Okay. Um, yeah, next, literally nothing. Okay. So, as John Barrymore settled in to work with Carol Lombard, he would basically look at Howard Hawks as if to say that isn't working out. So, it was kind of a slow process at the beginning. Um, so, Howard Hawks took her for a little walk and asked her how much she was being paid to make the film and then he said what would you say if I told you you'd earned your whole salary this morning and don't have to act anymore she was stunned and began to realize that what he wanted from her was her own freewheeling spontaneity and not something studied and prepared and needless to say she succeeded in being spontaneous and zany to the point where after the filming had ended John Barrymore gave Lombard an autograph photo inscribed to the finest actress I have worked with, bar none. And this is saying something because this is 1934 and in 1932 he he worked with Greta Garbo and Grand Hotel, which I highly recommend and maybe we'll try to get to on the podcast at some point. Um... I don't know if if Lombard was. I mean, there were different different types of acting, Lombard and Garbo, and I I will not try to compare them, but in terms of comedy, I think Lombard was just incredible. I'm glad. To, yeah, I'm glad we we got to talk about her on the podcast. She was very beautiful. She was very talented. Um. She was called the profane angel because she was she was beautiful. She looked like an angel, but she had a um foul mouth so she used to like like to swear a lot and um my kind of woman <laughs> yeah she was very good friends with um alfred hitchcock all right so when hitchcock moved in um moved to la they they used to see a lot of each other and they did a film together mrs and mr mr and mrs smith and um yeah, she was she she was beautiful, but she was marked by quite a lot of misfortune early in her career. I think she started at, as a bathing beauty on Max Sennett's studio, in but and after, shortly after she suffered a car accident, which left her left cheek scarred, and I think you kind of see it if you know what to look for. You kind of see it at some point, but it was always manageable with quite a lot of makeup and the right lighting so you can't she could she was able to have a career after that um although the career was short-lived because in 1942 she she had um she died in a plane crash while selling bonds for the war so it was quite a tragedy oh wow yeah so she was um she she was she she believed a lot in the, in the war effort and she was touring the country to sell war bonds and then i think her plane crashed on the side of a mountain somewhere in nevada it was yeah 
quite a tragedy. Um, the BFI did a, a Lombard season at the beginning of this year, um, which I was I was fortunate enough to be in London at the beginning of the year, and I went to see a couple of films there. And my one of my teachers from Queen Mary, Dr. Lucy Bolton, gave an introduction to 20th Century when it showed at the cinema. I'm still kind of bitter that I didn't get to attend that um, as I was in Sweden at the time. I think the the um, the season lasted for over a month, I believe, and by the point by the time that 20th Century was screened, I was already in Sweden. But yeah. Um, I definitely recommend uh, more Carol Lombard films. She was, I think, she was the queen of screwball. Sorry, Claudette Colbert, but I think Carol Lombard gets this one. 1934 was indeed the film that kind of marked the start of the screwball comedies. Um, you have this, which I think is slightly better than the one that was mostly acclaimed by everybody else, which is uh, it happened one night. Um, I don't know if you've seen that one. It's good, but no, it's not as... No, no, I haven't. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's considered by most to be the first scribble comedy, but I think this one um, is slightly better. But yeah, I'm glad I enjoyed it. Um, I, yeah, fine. I'm, I mean, I understand that you didn't laugh as loud, but I just, I can't not laugh at all the invectives and insults that are hurled about at very, very fast pace. From everybody, I just yeah, I just find this film very very funny. Um, I think this this I think I think of all the films we've had on, um, of ones that you've given me to watch, of all the films that we've had on in the in the, you know, in the podcast, I think this will probably be top of the list of ones to rewatch. Absolutely, the, where the dialogue is formed. Yeah. Um, like I said it is like I said it's so quick and so this. There's such a like a richness to it. Um, yeah, I think it like for me as a as somebody that wants you know is is trying to write. I wouldn't say trying to write, but basically is is you know writing. Like it's I think it's a it'd be a very very good exercise to watch this and and bringing up baby um, as like two films to kind of watch and kind of see how like delivery plays a lot of um, a, a big role in kind of delivering these lines and and. Yeah, yeah, I, th- yeah. I think I think this will be probably top of the list of films to rewatch. I yeah, and I've seen I've seen I think I've seen it about ten times already. I think it's one of those films that you rediscover new ways of insulting people uh, every time you see it. And Barrymore's acting is very very much over the top. And I've 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 spoken to people and they were like, well, I I enjoyed it, but there's a lot of like toxic masculinity uh, in his performance but I think that gets cancelled out by the over the topness of it because you can't you're not supposed to take him seriously as I mean yeah he's kind of like oh I'm going to kill myself uh, if you don't do this for me uh, so he's trying to be controlling but at the same time like you said they they kind of need each other so he's over the top she's also over the top they meet each other in the middle and they kind of have a battle uh, sort of they have it out with each other and like who who can shout the, the, the loudest and who can sort of hurl insult at each other the, the fastest so i think it was just it's delightful to see these two incredible incredible actors play against each other and 
yeah, I think, yeah, you probably should watch it again. Um, but of course, I would say that. <laughs> I, I, really, yeah, no, no, yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. It was just one of those beautiful films. With Carol Lombard, there are so many other screwball comedies that you, you, you enjoy. Um, top of the list is My Man Got Free. If you've not seen it, I highly recommend it. Um, and you have um, To Be or Not To Be, which was, I think, her last film with directed by the great Ernst Lubitsch. So, yeah, there's a lot of in her filmography that would just make you like, love her even more. With With John Barrymore, because of his alcoholism, there were fewer better roles. I think this is probably the best, the best, it's my favorite film of his and probably the film that, that you could see his range and you could see how over the top he can, he can go. Um, but at the same time, you've got Dr. Je the silent film, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And that, that is again, one of the greatest films ever made. And Grand Hotel, of course, with the great Garbo. So there's there's quite a lot to to sort of discover. So I'm kind of envious of you that you you only beginning to discover how great John Barrymore is. But yeah, I think that's kind of it for me with this film. So we go from we go from two great actors uh, acting alongside each other. Um, for the first and only time? Is no, that right? no, they had another, f um, I can't remember the film, they had another 1937 film. Okay, which, but for the first time, really? Yeah, for the first time, yeah. So moving to two more contemporary uh, comedic actors working for the first and as thus far only time, um, Bowfinger from 1999, directed by Frank Oz, um, starring Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy. Um, <laughs> so I got a bit of a synopsis. Um, on the verge of bankruptcy and desperate for his big break, aspiring filmmaker Bobby Bowfinger concocts a crazy plan to make his ultimate dream movie, rallying a ragtag that includes a starry-eyed ingenue, a has-been diva and a film studio gopher, he sets out to shoot a blockbuster featuring the biggest star in Hollywood, Kit Ramsey, only without letting Ramsey know he's in the picture. Um, I I adore this movie a lot. Um, so I'm also going to say that the, the, the fate of the podcast rests on this. Ouch. Um, you didn't say that before. It doesn't count. <laughs> oh, um, so oh, yeah, Danny, what, what, what did you think of Bowfinger? Um... It's silly. It's definitely silly. It's quite enjoyable. I think it's a good fit for the for for the the film that we've had in terms of the level of crazy and the level of lies people would stoop to to get their projects made. I like Steve Martin. I like Eddie Murphy. Um I just didn't think this was their best hour I just I've seen them before in other projects and I I was kind of it's one of those things I just didn't I, I enjoyed it I had a few chuckles I don't think I've had just like you said I don't think I've laughed out loud um, it didn't grip me as much as I thought it would um, it's quite politically incorrect and I don't know if it's aged that all that well having said that I really enjoy see, seeing Terrence Stamp 
and Robert Downey Jr. I think those guys were always a win. I love them so much. I mean, Terrence Stamp is just incredible. There's nothing that he could do wrong. Same with Robert Downey Jr. I wish I I wish there were more of them in the film. I like I like like I said I like both Eddie Murphy and Steve Martin, and I was kind of expecting a bit more explosive material in in this. But again, like I think we've had this conversation before in terms of expectation. You, you expect some so much, and you know, I mean, the script is great. There's there's some really really funny lines. Um, I think one of my favorites like, "Hey, the plutonium is mine. It's been registered for religious purposes." <laughs> and he's like, "It's got plutonium." It's just yeah, that's quite funny. And then when when uh, I mean I like Heather Graham's character is quite funny. He's like, "We're finished. We're over. How come? You had sex with Jeff? So? Oh, I never thought of it that way. I'll see you tonight. Yeah, what time? I mean, I did enjoy it. It was it was quite a funny film. Um, you know, but, but when you see Terrence Stamp and Robert Downey Jr. on the credits, you kind of get more excited and. I think that kind of sets up the expectation. Um, this this was this was like ninety nine era of Robert Downey Jr. So he was he was like on the verge of his di- dying you know, fall. He was on the verge of his fall at this point. Yeah, I know. So you could you could kind of see it in his eyes and his performance a little bit that he you know he's not the Robert Downey Jr. That he's not there. Come to know he's not there how he is you know from two thousand and five onwards. So you know. Um. Yeah. I think Christine Christine Baranski was the best thing about the film. I knew you'd like her. I, knew I, I love was her. Watching the film, I, and I thought I think she's gonna love her. I think she's absolutely fabulous in everything she does. I grew her what I grew up watching her on Sybil on that show, uh, which feels a lifetime ago and probably is a lifetime ago. So we're not gonna get into that now. But yeah, I just yeah I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, I I don't think it's aged all that well, and I do not think it's as good as Twentieth Century. But I think that's where we differ, and I think that's what yeah. Um, but yeah, I think yeah. Thanks for making me watch it. I mean, we we have had you know we have had conversations you know outside of the pod about how kind of our humor kind of does differ a little bit uh, uh, quite a bit. You know, we have the same you know both of us love Monty Python, um, but you know who doesn't. Um, but you know, in terms of like other humor and stuff, like we we kind of differ in that way. Um, you know, it, you know, it's to be expected. You know, we both come from different, you know, backgrounds. Yeah. We both like different things. Yep. Um, this this for me, I mean, I like I said, I do adore this film. Um, when I first watched it, when I was like thirteen, fourteen. Um, I couldn't. It didn't dawn on me until after the film that Jif was Eddie Murphy. I didn't really that he was playing two different because I I didn't realize at that age, like you know, when I was you know, I didn't really kind of grasp how a person could play two different characters in the same film. It wasn't really something that had kind of dawned on me, right? Um, and you know, at the same time, you know. Around about the same era, he was in 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 the Nutty Professor, and you know it. His performance, uh, Eddie Murphy, and the way he kind of transforms himself into these different characters. Uh, one of my favorite films is Coming to America, 
Um, I don't know if you've seen Coming to America. No. So there's a scene in Coming to America where um, Prince Akeem, uh, played by Eddie Murphy, you know, looks like Eddie Murphy, goes into a barbershop. Uh, this is like a, a queen's barbershop. And there's these all these old men arguing about boxing. And Eddie Murphy plays two of the characters, um, one of whom is, is basically him in old man makeup and looks like a really old black man. And then the other one is a Jewish man, a white Jewish man. And then the credits roll, it says Eddie Murphy with any in what and it's incredible makeup and, and it's incredible acting how he how he kind of does these characters. And with Jif, like he yeah. is so he is so happy to be there and has this earnestness and his I think it's one of is Eddie Murphy's best creations, is Jif. Um because it it's not the Eddie Murphy performance that we would come to expect you know kiff is like kit ramsey kit ramsey is you know keep it together keep the, the rapid delivery of keep it together and, and yeah the way he's kind of got this crazed look in his eyes that's the eddie murphy that you kind of recognize from the 80s and stuff but the gif performance is so it's so warm <laughs> he's so happy to be there and you know i think the scene that that, that always cracks me up with him is is when I mean, apart from apart from the highway sequence, which is just absolutely genius, um, is the sequence where he goes to have the sex scene with Heather Graham, and Heather Graham takes her top off, and he he's he's like, "You're gonna be a star," <laughs> looking at her chest. <laughs> um, you know, he's he's like so happy to be there. So um, yeah, the, 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 this one means it, it, it's it's a film I, I really really do love. This the, it's directed by Frank Oz. Um, who I don't know if you know who that is. Um, See, yeah, I do. Yeah, so for those for the listeners, uh, he's perhaps probably the more no- well known for his voice work as uh, the voice of Yoda and Fozzie Bear and Miss Piggy in the Muppets. Um, than he is really for his doctoral work. He's also an actor as well. Um, he was in Knives Out. Uh, Ryan Johnson cast him as the the lawyer um, that appears in in Knives Out. Um, he did direct uh, The Little Shop of Horrors, which starred Rick Moranis, uh, the Jim Henson uh, creation uh, film uh, The Dark Crystal, and uh, another comedic film, Dirty Rotten, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which starred uh, Michael Caine and Steve Martin. Um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is really, really good, by the way. If anybody hasn't seen that, I really recommend that. Uh, Steve Martin himself wrote the script. This is, you know, his solo script. And I think this would probably... I think this is, in my opinion, his last great comedic performance um, before kind of settling down into a lot more family-friendly roles. Um, You know, stuff like Cheaper by the Dozen and and The Pink Panther. Um, Same with Eddie Murphy. Like, after this, you know, he... He had the Nutty Professor, and you know the sequels to that, and then he did. He was in the Disney film like The Haunted Mansion, um, and then it was like, you know, The Adventures of Pluto Nash, and you know, it, uh, I mean, in ninety nine he was also in uh, Life with Martin Lawrence, which is a really underrated comedy, which I really recommend to people. Um, but he he kind of. Like Steve Martin, just end up falling into this hole of just doing family-friendly movies. I mean, you think about a couple of years later, Eddie Murphy was the voice of Donkey in Shrek, and that yes. was kind of it. You know, he's 
you know um and then you know it's kind of steve martin like i said like you know in the the, the outro last week you know he kind of is just online playing his banjo just doing that really and he's just more than happy to do that um eddie murphy is kind of bringing himself back um he was in a film netflix film last year called dolomite is my name um which i haven't got around to watching but i've heard extraordinary things about and i'm really looking forward to watching it um there is also a sequel to coming to america um coming out hopefully later this year um so hopefully that will kind of bring eddie murphy back to where you know he kind of belongs which is you know this great comedic star of the 80s um he was on snl he did a he was on snl a few months ago um uh, before all this um <laughs> you know points to this uh happened and his snl was was one of the most watched ones in 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 years um i think seeing seeing them both together i think they kind of it, it, for me it feels as though how everybody felt when they saw Pacino and De Niro in the scene in Heat, but for comedy, it's like you finally get to see these two greats kind of go at it together. And there's a definite, in the scenes that they do share together, especially the scenes between Steve Martin and Kit, um, that scene where Steve Martin goes to give Kit the, the script. And there's the, there's a definite there's a definite spark there. If Eddie Murphy is doing his like manic thing, and Steve Martin's, you know, who's the one person that can keep up with manic Eddie Murphy? It, it's got to be Steve Martin. And yeah. There's nobody else really that can do it. Um. Yeah. The, I, I, this is this is a really I I love this film a lot. Um. Both of them bring their A game. I think where the film is really strong for me, and I think it really rewards itself on multiple viewings, is all the little details of the film um so with like kind of like things like around the edges it's one of the reasons why i do want to rewatch uh 20th century is because i want to pick up on all like the little details that you kind of pick up on agree agree um with here you have so it's just a couple of examples so how heather graham's daisy she um pretty much has sex with everybody just to kind of get herself moving up in the film world uh, she was more than happy like she came to the 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 hollywood as this bright-eyed you know country girl who wants to be an actress and you know she kind of sleeps her way up to the top and at the end you know she's with a, a lesbian the most powerful lesbian producer in hollywood um <laughs> you've got how um the mexican i don't know if you noticed the mexican film crew um how could i not notice <laughs> yeah they're there so no, I mean like over the course of the film, how they go from really confused, you know, they don't know what they're doing. To, but they know their shit in the like, end. They end up knowing their shit. And at one point, one of, one of them's ringing Cahers to cinema. They're having a conversation. Yeah, I saw that. Now. I was like, <laughs> I, they were reading Cahers to cinema. And I'm like, whoa, that's good. That's really good. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then... Uh, uh, the way like i think like betsy the dog is just amazing yeah yeah um and then like i said you know like terence stamp is is great to see and i, I think his him as the leader is as <laughs> uh as steve martin calls it at one point he goes he goes mine f- mine head uh yeah like, you know, <laughs> um the thinly veiled uh parody of, of scientology yeah um 
there this this film is i think the, the this the script itself i think is very very tight and i think it's very flowy and i think it does allow but it also allows steve martin and eddie murphy to kind of just go for it being their a game um i, th I where so i'm really curious now i'm really curious like you've seen the other steve martin and eddie murphy films before like what what steve martin stuff have you seen like what yeah um well the the usual ones like what was it planes autumn what was it planes trains not yeah that Which one i've never seen i've never seen that what <laughs> i know i've I know. seen um i think the jerk well long long time ago and the one that i really one of my favorite was the one where he did with lily tomlin where he's in her body all of me don't know that one. Oh my god that is one of my favorite films it's it's really really good okay so uh, for me it's um sergeant bilko his remake of sergeant bilko which i i saw um dick rogers scoundrels uh, father of the bride yeah i've seen um, father of the bride yeah uh the jerk i think is a, a, a hilarious film um, and Three Amigos is just excellent. <laughs> Seeing him bounce off of Chevy Chase and, and Martin Sheen. Yeah. Martin Sheen, Martin Chase. Um, yeah. Three Amigos is, is an excellent film. Um, but yeah, like, you know, and Andy Murphy, you know. I think, I think I know Eddie. I mean, I've seen lots of Eddie Murphy's stand up and he was brilliant. Um, yeah, raw, and, raw and delirious. I've seen him in. Um, um, Beverly Hills Cop and of yeah. course Shrek um, all the Shreks Dr. Doolittle which I thought was funny yeah Beverly I mean yeah Trading Places was good so yeah he's um, what else yeah I've seen him in The Nutty Professor the first one I think yeah yeah, and you got, you know, 48 hours. Um, and The Vampire in Brooklyn. I thought that was brilliant. Uh, I've not seen that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you, like, you know, with, with Eddie Murphy and both Steve Martin, I think it's the, the stand-up stuff as well. Like, you know, both of them. Um, yeah, no, I, I, it's, it's really, like I said, it's really cool. To, uh, for me, anyway, it's really cool, you know, seeing these two kind of act against each yeah. other. Yeah um and kind of just go at it um yeah uh the, there's a one one little short thing i kind of wanted to bring up so this so i did a bit of research on this um and there was a video essay well, a video essay it was like this video review done by these guys um i can't actually remember the name of it if i remember the name of it i'll pop it in the show notes um and what i do remember is one of them said that this the film um, is kind of inspired by a true story. Um, so back in, I, so I did a bit of reading on this. So back in 1926, 1927, um, there was a silent, a Soviet silent comedy film called A Kiss for Mary Pickford, um, directed by a guy called Sergei Komarov. Um, and the, the story differs. So the story goes is that this guy, Sergei, um, Sergei Komarov, Sergei? shot this Sergei sorry shot this film um you know as this is this comedy 
but then also filmed uh, Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks without them knowing. Um, so then they became a part of the film. So he built the film around his kind of filming of them whilst they were kind of on holiday in the USSR. Right. Um, but the story, the story kind of differs. It's like it's either they didn't know anything about it or they kind of knowingly participated as a gesture towards the Russian film industry. So what is, um, which is it? I don't know. It's kind of, it's like, cause it happened so long ago and neither Mary Pickford or Douglas Fairbanks is still alive. So interesting, you know, it's, um, you know, it's just one of those, one of those things like, um, the, the, the story kind of differs from there, but I, you know, the 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 thing of of Bobby Bowfinger wanting to shoot this film with with Kit Ramsey without him knowing, you know, it it's been done before in real life, um, supposedly. Supposedly. Um, supposedly, but it, it's still a cool story, you know. Like that they did this film and Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks, you know, these massive stars at the time, you know, were starred in the Soviet film without them knowing, supposedly. <laughs> it's a cool story. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's kind of my. My, my little story that I have next up we, we have to do a film of uh, Mary Pickford <laughs> I don't think you've seen a Mary Pickford film no I don't think I have I'm, I'm thinking about it I don't think I have well then <laughs> um, something to look forward yeah, I to think, I think that's kind of us done with Bobby Bowfinger, uh, Bobby Bowfinger. Um, I did kind of want to like kind of compare Bobby Bowfinger and Oscar Jaffe a little bit um yeah just watching them to kind of do their thing but differently like bobby bowfinger i think he's more of a con artist but there's a definite love to he 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 has a definite drive to wanting to make a film um, yeah he's always constantly kind of conning people and it's quite it's almost a cynic cynical view of, of hollywood directors i think i think the difference is that you have yeah bowfinger he's he understands that he doesn't have scruples. He he acknowledges the fact that he doesn't have scruples and that he's a con. He knows what he's doing. Whereas Oscar Jaffe, he's just he's so full of himself that he doesn't even realize how much of of a drama queen he he is being. So he's some he's like he he transcends, you know stuff like money and you know he's he's a total consumed artist he's too full of himself i think that's kind of the difference i think bowfinger is more like he's i'm not saying i don't want to say he's down to earth but he's he knows how the world works and he knows that he needs money and he knows how to con people whereas oscar jaffe needs to have people around him to con other people I think like with Bowfinger he he does have his you know Dave the the, the camera yes guy. yeah like, he's also kind of in on it as well like there's a scene where um you know Bowfinger pulls out his you know his little chest thing and he's got a load of money in it and he says yeah he gives this story about how from the age of 10 he's been putting a dollar in and if he missed a week he'll make it back up yeah, and then he says, you know, this is you're looking at two thousand one hundred eighty four dollars, and Dave turns around and says, "But movies cost a million dollars to make." Bobby Bowfinger replies, "That's after gross net deduction, profit percentage deferment, ten yeah. percent of the nut cash. Every movie costs two thousand one hundred eighty four dollars." 
and you know he, he's kind of he's bought him he's almost bringing himself in on the con that you know I think I think that that that's how Bowfinger kind of is. Like even at the start with with where Robert Downey Jr. you know gets almost talked. I don't know. He, he kind of sees that Bowfinger is trying to con him into getting giving him money because he sees the fact that the phone has been ripped out of the car and he sees the cord and he's just like, oh, you know what? I'll, I've had worse, you know, pitches than this. I'm just gonna say, you know, if you get Kit Ramsey, I'll give you the money just yeah. to kind of play along with it and i think that's kind of like how frank oz and steve martin kind of see hollywood especially in the late 90s you know that this kind of it's it's all a con everybody's just it's all about the names know, yeah like the william goldman thing is like nobody knows anything in hollywood and i think this film kind of does is pretty much does that and the fact that the, you know the film that end, they end up making is a film called chubby rain which is meant to be this masterpiece and you know everyone loves it and you know it's, it's and we all know it's just a terrible film but like you know it's like they believe it so much that this is a masterpiece and i yeah gotcha suckers oh um, i think i think I, I i think seeing i think seeing the performances in 20th century you know when i say like with we don't see the actual performances themselves we just see the re- rehearsals am i right in thinking yeah 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 so with you know it kind of does the same thing where we're kind of being led to believe that 20th century you know the performances of lily garland in these plays that she does are meant to be magnificent works of art but we don't really see them so it's kind of almost almost the same kind of thing but you know like there isn't a cynicism to 20th century no no there isn't no i think you're right i think what oscar jaffe does is like yeah i'm gonna make art just for art's sake and his work is supposed yeah but once lily's left his inspiration is also gone yeah 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 um, but the reviews yeah, speak no. for themselves because you, you kind of see some snippets of reviews and indeed everyone, all the critics are hailing him for, to be a genius in terms on, on the stage whenever Lily's with him. And you see that all, all the other uh, performances have been flops. Yeah, no, yeah, you do see that. Um, so there is no cynicism okay, cool. there, yeah. No, yeah, I think, I think, I think, the, yeah, I think Bowfinger is definitely the more cynical film, but there's like a love kind of, it's like the cynicism, we kind of like, we have to buy into the cynicism um, to, to us, we love it because of that. Yeah, to a certain degree, there is, there is some sort of cynicism towards Hollywood because you see Oscar Jaffe being very like, you know, he just doesn't think much of Hollywood at all. He's like, oh yeah, she went, she sold herself to Hollywood um, and it's not proper art it's not a theatre the theatre is like the, be- the the better art so there is some sort of like yeah, der- derisive mentions of, of Hollywood and then you see Lily Garland coming back from Hollywood in, yeah. into the yeah, fold she's kind of like this kind of this, you know she's got the, the outfit and everything and she uses her name as this yeah you know 
power, as it were. Yeah. Um, very much like how Kit Ramsey uses his name as as a power to his poor, poor agent. Um, you know, ask if a film was featuring fuck the Wonder Slave, um, and <laughs> saying that you know he's called Van Damme and Jackie Chan, and tell her that Spear Chucker says hello. Spear um, <laughs> just so funny. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I think that I think you're right in saying that this film, uh, Bobby Bofinger, uh, Bofinger is is not, it's like aged a bit poorly, like kind of you know, but yeah, it's so like, silly it can kind of yeah, get away with it, it. yeah, because it's just there were there were a few moments where I felt it was a bit cringe, and I don't know how you feel. I mean, you probably the the perform the the portrayal of of the slower brother was a bit. I don't know if he was politically incorrect to me and having Daisy be this massive, you know, slag just to sweep her way through, like, I don't know. It just felt a bit like not aged I very think, well. I, yeah, I think I think maybe I think maybe you're right with the Daisy thing with her sleeping, sleeping around. Um, but I, Especially in, in opposed like, me to uh, society. I, don't, uh, I, was, I was just, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, I didn't. I don't know. I I just didn't think of it like that. I I I because I I saw it as kind of her doing it herself, as it were. She's not being forced into this position. No, but she knows you know, how the just... world works, so she's kind yeah, of like, yeah. this is what I have to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just a few things that kind of slightly put me off, but I I'm I, I did enjoy it, and I, I yeah one of. I'm glad you've mentioned it because I almost slipped my mind having the Mexican crew reading Calle de Cinema. That was just a stroke of genius, I thought. That's, yeah, there's like those. I think that's what I mean. Like the the, the Bowfinger kind of has like these little touches, um, like this li- these little details, which I don't think you. I think you get you don't really get in mainstream comedies nowadays. Um, uh, uh, okay, mate, you don't get in mainstream comedies that aren't directed by Edgar Wright. Um, yeah, you know there 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 aren't you know there there aren't these you know like the Judd Apatow stuff there you know there there isn't there aren't like these background gags going on or stuff going on in the background that's like full of little details that you don't you know you you kind of need to watch it in a second viewing to kind of see you know with with those kind of films I'm not disparaging them some of them are very funny. I think Superbad is a very very funny film. I I really really enjoyed Forty Year Old Virgin, but like those kind of comedies, they are you watch them once and then that's kind of it. Like you've seen all that the film has to show. There's no background sight gags going on, like there is in both Inger and like what I can assume from 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 twentieth century. You know, I did notice that there is some definite stuff going on in the background that I know I need to catch a second viewing. Yeah. Um, but that's just just where we are. Maybe audiences, maybe the filmmakers got fed up of putting all this stuff in there. The audiences don't notice. <laughs> uh, maybe that's maybe that's what's happened. Um, anyway, so I think I think we're kind of wrapping up cool. a little bit. We're kind of. Yeah. Um. Up. It was. It was. Yeah. It was good to have some comedy on the show. <laughs> yeah, I think. I think after. I think after the the week that that's been going on, I think I think it's good to have a. It was it was really good to sit down and watch Bowfinger around twentieth century, I think. Yeah. So what have you got on for next week? 
Um, so next week we are having our first proper animated films. Um, a format. I'm not going to call it a genre because it's not a genre. It's a it's a form of storytelling. Um, uh, so these are our first proper animated films. Um, you can't really count Team America as animated because it's puppets. Yeah. Um, so we are talking about. So Danny's film is. Um, the Studio Ghibli non Miyazaki, you know, film, uh, The Red Turtle, uh, that came out in 2016 from uh, a guy called Michael Dudok de Witt. I think that's how you say his name because he's Dutch. Yeah. Um, which is, from what I can gather, an almost silent. It's a silent film. It's a silent film. It is, yeah. I can't um, believe you've not no seen it. So, yeah, I'm quite happy to talk about it. And then we are watching that with uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse from 2018 um, from directors, co-directors Rodney Rothman, Peter Ramsey and Bob Persichetti. Um, a film that I have seen it would be by the time by the time we go to record next week it would be eight times since I've seen it since it came out. Wow. Uh, in 2018. <laughs> um, so this is a film that if I love Bobby Bowfinger, I am obsessed with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, so I'm really, really excited to talk about a film that I've written many, many words about, actually. I've written quite a lot of words on on this film. So it's going to be, going to be a good week, uh, talking about some animated feature films. Um, a format of storytelling. I, 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 I have a very, very... There's a, there's a place in my heart for I can never not love an animated film unless it's Hotel Transylvania um, <laughs> so yeah uh, are you excited for next week Danny? I am, I am very much excited cool. I'm looking forward to watching Spider-Man the animated film there's, this there's is my excited ex- this is my excited voice <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Okay. I'm not, I'm, I always for, 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 for people that have seen the film and are listening to this are kind of hopefully on the same wavelength with me of just like <laughs> sitting there just like biting your tongue waiting for next week to come so um, I am very yeah. excited about this film <laughs> oh, the excitement is palpable you can, you can feel it um, so <laughs> so Danny um, where can we find you on the internet you can find me on Twitter at Kino Joan and my website is kinojoan.co.uk. You wrote a review of something, didn't you, recently? I did. I wrote a review of this tiny, small budget independent film co- called Tenet. Check it out. Hey, you stole my bit. <laughs> I did. I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, everyone on the planet is, is, is talking or having an opinion about it. So I thought, why not me? I also have a, uh, a small piece on 20th century in which I discuss sort of the performances of John Barrymore and Carol Lombard. So it's kind of a, a bit of an addition to what I've said on this podcast. So check it out. I'll definitely, definitely give that a read. Um, you can find me on the internet. Um, I'm on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler. My website is superatomovision.com. Um on the subject of Tenet, we are kind of preparing a bonus episode soon, um, so look out for that on on your feeds. Um, we'll be talking about 
the small independent film featuring an indie director, you know, directed by a small indie director that has got no no big name. Yeah, credits to his name. he does have a future. Um, I have a feeling he he's he'll, he'll get places. I reckon he, I reckon he will. I reckon like I think maybe one day he might get a superhero film. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll be, we'll be talking about that, and we'll be talking about. I think I think we're just gonna go with top five Nolan moments. I think. Yeah, I'm looking um, forward to that. I think it's just like we kind of give ourselves some as much room as possible. So we're going with like Nolan moments. So you can talk about like the score, or cinematography, or shots, or acting performances. You know. So we're going, we're going with we're going with that. Um, so look up for that on your podcast feeds. Um, you can find our. Uh, podcast twitter at keenotomic and our gmail is keenotomic at gmail.com and yeah so it is a thank you for listening and a goodbye from me and a thank you for listening and a goodbye from me